Welcome into the 49er Access Podcast. Don't be distracted by the beanie. I look like the theater thug from Drake and Josh. Don't worry about it because all we have to do is talk San Francisco 49ers against the Seattle Seahawks and I'll send you on your merry way to go celebrate a hopeful victory on Sunday for the second time this year over the Seahawks. Welcome into the podcast. I'm so happy you're here to listen to me talk about how the San Francisco 49ers can beat the Seahawks, how they should beat the Seahawks, and hopefully how they will beat the Seahawks this Sunday, 105 at Levi Stadium, Niners and Seahawks, their second and hopefully final matchup of the 2023-2024 NFL season. My name is Sterling Bennett. I want to ask you to like, share, and subscribe on the audio versions of the podcast, or if you're watching on YouTube, hit that like button and that bell notification. It helps the podcast, helps the show in a very easy and free way. And without further ado, let's dive into week number 14, Niners versus the Seattle Seahawks, and it's going to be a doozy. The Niners come in 9-3 on the year, currently 3-0 against the NFC West this season. Uh, They just beat the Philadelphia Eagles last week, 42-19, a complete uh, dismantling of the still number one seeded Philadelphia Eagles. They have a current four-game win streak dating back to week number 10, the first week after the bye week against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Beat the Jaguars, the Bucks, Seattle on Thanksgiving, Eagles last week, and hoping to make it a five-game win streak this Sunday over those pesky Seattle Seahawks. They do currently have a three-game advantage over Seattle in the NFC West, and they have a chance to sweep the Seahawks for the second time in as many seasons. And maybe, if they're lucky, if they can get some help by the Dallas Cowboys, be the number one seed by the end of Sunday night, wouldn't that be uh, just a winning on Thanksgiving over Seattle? Obviously a massive win, historic win. San Francisco's first Thanksgiving Day win since 1972. Then you go on the road to Philadelphia at the link. You beat Philadelphia at their own place. Then you come back home, and if you can get a win, and Dallas gets a win too over Philadelphia on Sunday Night Football, you're sitting here having won five games in a row, now holding the number one seed in the NFC right where you want to be going into the final stretch of the season with the Cardinals in sight, the Rams there, the, the the Commanders, and of course the Ravens on Christmas Day. So a massive, massive game for San Francisco to win this Sunday over the Seahawks. They can cap off, like I already mentioned, a really impressive three-game stretch, beat Seattle in Seattle, Lumen Field on Thanksgiving. Check. You beat Philadelphia in Philadelphia, get that tiebreaker, check, come back home, and then get to play Seattle at Levi Stadium. They can cap off a rather really impressive three games in a row. Uh, Games that when the season started, you pointed to and say, that's going to be tough. Um, If they can win five games in a row and win three of their toughest games or what was supposed to be the three toughest games this year, uh, it's going to be one of the most impressive three-game stretches uh, the Shanahan era has ever seen in San Francisco. And 
I already mentioned this after San Francisco beat the Seahawks the first time, but this really is, like, if it wasn't on Thanksgiving, this game really is a chance for San Francisco to wrap up the NFC West and push Seattle to 1-4 against the division this year. They would have lost to the Rams twice, if San Francisco wins on Sunday, had lost to uh, the Niners twice and only beaten the Cardinals just once. And if San Francisco pulls this off and does push Seattle to one and four in the division, they also would, in theory, kind of tank the Seahawks playoff chances because they come in six and six, currently one and three against the NFC West this year. Uh, they just lost 41-35 against the Cowboys last week. That was a great game on Thursday Night Football. They have lost three consecutive games uh, dating back to the Rams, us, and last week against the Cowboys. They've lost two of those games, mind you, though. One point loss against the Rams three weeks ago and a six-point loss against the Cowboys. So two of their three losses have been by just one score, one of them being by one point. So Seattle's been in games. They just haven't been able to finish off games or maintain or keep a lead. Uh, they did seemingly find their offense last week, though. Uh, DK Metcalf had a monster, monster game, and I was so mad at my co-host on, on 95.7 The Game, Mark Grandy, because I was like, Mark, I need to acquire a receiver in fantasy would you trade or try to trade for DK Metcalf? And he said, no, he stinks. And I watched that game unfold in front of my face. And I said, I'm so angry. <laughs> like, why didn't you let me make this deal? And I get it. Metcalf wasn't having an amazing season coming in when it came to scoring touchdowns. Had three, had a massive game against the Cowboys. They made Drum Bland to in many cases, is this year's defensive player of the year. They made him look like a pillow. He was playing so soft. He was like Charmin. He was playing so soft. Awful coverage, awful tackling. Had a pick six, mind you, but just outside of that one pick six, which was, was a great play, uh, he looked like a real, we call him Sosar, the sorry-ass Rams. He looked like a sorry-ass DB. <laughs> he wasn't playing well. That's how good DK Metcalf looked against the Dallas Cowboys last week. Uh, Geno Smith threw for 334 yards and three touchdowns, three of those being to DK Metcalf. Um, and it looks like they kind of refound their spark, refound their offense, which they had lost against the Rams and San Francisco. Uh, so we'll see which Seattle Seahawks team comes in to Levi's Stadium. Uh, but either way, even if uh, they aren't a great team record-wise, currently at 500, I do think that the Seahawks are going to come in looking for revenge, not just for Thanksgiving, but I do think their backs are against the wall. They are going to want to kick and punch. They are going to be fighting for their playoff survival. They're going to be like Johnny Cueto for the Reds, fighting the Cardinals in the bench clearing brawl, this kicking and pushing with the cleats against the backstop. Seattle has to win this game, I think, if they want any shot at making the playoffs because 
if you fall to six and seven and you lose four games in a row, people get demoralized, your team starts to lose faith. Then you see teams like the Falcons and the Saints, and you see others that are in the wildcard conversation, the Buccaneers, the Packers, teams that maybe are playing better football, especially Green Bay, start to climb, start to find their momentum. And if you beat Seattle this week, they will have then lost to San Francisco on Thanksgiving, the Cowboys last week, San Francisco this Sunday, and then they have to play the Philadelphia Eagles at home in two weeks. Like their schedule, albeit uh, the hardest, is playing San Francisco twice in that four-game stretch. But the Philadelphia Eagles are still one of the best teams in the entire league. They're going to want to refine their steps, refine themselves. There's a good chance Seattle sitting here, if they do indeed lose against San Francisco this Sunday, they could fall to six and eight on the year. Then you're sitting there if you're Seattle, you have to win three or the final three games of the season to even make the playoffs or even be in that conversation. Now, nine and eight should get you in, but there's no promise they're going to win nine games this year if they fall to six and eight. This game for San Francisco, I do think can bury Seattle so far in the NFC wildcard picture, they might not even make the playoffs. They could finish equal to the Rams when it's all said and done. There's a good chance if San Francisco wins this game on Sunday, they're going to push and demoralize Seattle so much they lose against Philadelphia, and they have to somehow win three games in a row after losing their previous five to claw themselves back into the NFC wildcard picture. This is a massive game for San Francisco. Uh, what a better way to cap off, again, playing Seattle on Thanksgiving Philadelphia beating them at the link last week and then beating Seattle at home in front of your home crowd. Uh, the, the best thing about that is you can almost end Seattle's playoff hopes the same day you cap off an impressive three-game stretch and win your fifth game of the season, not including maybe even having the number one seed. All that being said, though, uh, all of that potential good things for San Francisco is just more reasons as to why the Seattle Seahawks are going to come in here wanting to sucker punch San Francisco any chance they get. Um, like I said earlier, their backs are against the wall. They know. If they don't answer the call now, uh, there ain't going to be no call <laughs> in a few weeks. No one's calling the phone. Ring, ring. They're going to be like, sorry, it's busy. No one's home. That's the Packers phone now. That's the Saints, the Falcons, the Buccaneers phone now. Um the season is quickly passing Seattle by and their chances are running out. Uh, they have to win this week. They are going to pull out all of the stops. We're going to see Pete Carroll uh, pull out all the tricks, uh, the special teams, fake puns, the fake kicks. Um, we're going to see flea flickers and reverses and end arounds. And we're going to see DK Metcalf throwing passes. They're going to pull out all of the stops this Sunday. It's going to be... I think a great game. I think it's going to be closer than people think it is. I do think San Francisco, while yes, they know what happened the last time they beat an NFC East opponent with 42 to 10. Uh, they just beat Philadelphia 42 19. Weirdly enough, it's the exact same score for the offense. They know what happened last time. Fred Warner even mentioned it himself. We know what happened last time. We beat an NFC East opponent as bad as we just did against the Eagles. They want to avoid that. 
I do think while I there might be a fear of people might say trap game, I wouldn't call it a trap game. I do think there is a chance for a letdown, not in regards to a win, but I do think people were saying that Seattle holds no candle to San Francisco. Well, I do think if these two teams played in the playoffs, we'd see that once again. But I do think divisional game, Seattle has to win this one. Uh, San Francisco, a very tough fought victory, albeit the score doesn't show that. San Francisco got up as much as they have all year for that Eagles game. Uh, they're banged up. No Eric Armstead. Looks like no Elijah Mitchell. Uh, they got a, bu a bunch of bumps and bruises on them, whereas Seattle was also getting healthy. Abraham Lucas is back on the offensive line. They have some guys hurt too, but Kenneth Walker might play this Sunday. Zach Charbonnet, who got hurt against Dallas, looks like he'll play this week. So, uh, both teams are kind of in there. They're a little banged up on both sides, but it feels like San Francisco, although still being banged up, should win this game by a lot. I don't think it's going to be a you know 31 to 18, uh, you know a 34 to 14 style game. This feels much more like an NFC West, you know, you know slugfest to the end rather than San Francisco crushing the Seahawks like we want them to every single week. Um, and, and look. It's a divisional game, <laughs> like like NFC West, NFC East, AFC South. Whenever you play, when it's Pittsburgh and, and and Baltimore, when it's San Francisco and Seattle, when it's the Dolphins and it's the Bills, those games are always tough. When it's Cowboys and Eagles, those games are always close. Uh, you, San Francisco, this game is not going to be a cupcake game, and if it is, well then. Forget everything I say, and that just shows how good San Francisco is. But I think this game is much more of Seattle needing to win. This feels much more of San Francisco could lose this game, and it would stink, and it would suck, but it really wouldn't change what we think of them. I I would sit back and say, how do you lose against Seattle? But then I would sit back and say, man, like you played Philadelphia on the road you with 10 days rest. They come back home against Seattle. They have their backs against the wall, and they and they beat you. It happens, right? Now, for Seattle, like I can forgive San Francisco if they lose this game. Seattle can't forgive that their team. Seattle can't forgive themselves if they lose this game. Um, let's talk about the Seahawks' offense, though, because. The Seahawks offense, just like it was two weeks ago, if they can't run the football, they ain't winning. Uh, I know Geno Smith threw for three touchdowns, and Seahawks fans were like, we're back, baby! You still lost. You still lost in that game. Uh, in all of the Seahawks' six wins this year, just like two weeks ago, when they still had six wins, in all of their six wins, they've rushed for 100-plus yards. In all of their six losses, which they've recorded three losses in a row, they've rushed for hundred or hundred under 100 yards in each of those six losses. Like I said earlier, 
They were likely to have Kenneth Walker back and potentially Zach Charbonnet back. So uh, they're going to have that one-two punch, the power run, the outside zone uh, with Walker. They're also going to have uh, Charbonnet in the screen game, in the passing game to kind of give them some more, I don't want to say explosiveness, but give them a more of a wrinkle to the offense than just, you know, in between the tackles with Walker. Um, San Francisco this year, or excuse me, San Francisco since the bye week, since the defense has become the elite group we thought they would be, have only given up 64.7 rushing yards per game. That ranks top five in the entire league. Uh, they just held DeAndre Swift to, I believe, 12 yards for the Eagles. What San Francisco did against Philadelphia, who loves to run the football with Jalen Hurts, DeAndre Swift, uh, Kenneth Gainwell, it was a master class of how to stop the run. What they did against Seattle two weeks ago, against Rashad White and the Bucks uh, three weeks ago, against Travis Etienne four weeks ago, uh, what they've been able to do and stop leading rushers this year has been incredible. Uh, Seattle no longer has a top five leading rusher. Like I said earlier, though, I do think with Walker and Charbonnet back in the fray, it does give them uh, another element to the offense that wasn't seen when these two teams played on Thanksgiving night. For the passing game, uh, we can talk about Geno Smith all you want. Geno's fine. Geno Smith has probably been the Seahawks' best offensive player this year when Kenneth Walker's on the field. Um, I like Geno. He's a great guy. He's had a you know fine career, Jets, Giants, now Seattle. Um, he's a player that I think everybody respects. Um, even Brock Purdy today had said, like, look, we respect Seattle. We have to. Um, so San Francisco knows what this game means to them. Uh, and I think Geno Smith, I'm not going to say needs to save his job, but I do think right now, a lot of Seahawks fans are in the group of like, we like Geno, we respect him. Uh, we're thankful for what he did last year and what he's done so far this year, but they know that he's not the answer. And if you lose against San Francisco for a second time this year, where It'll be five consecutive games you will have lost to San Francisco with Geno Smith being your quarterback. Uh, at that point, if you're the Seahawks fans, you're going to sit back and say, okay, if the Niners are our biggest opponent in our own division and Geno Smith isn't the quarterback to beat them, we have to then find a new quarterback that can beat them. Uh, they couldn't beat Jimmy G. With Geno Smith, week two last year, they haven't been able to beat Brock Purdy once in, I believe this will be their fourth meeting uh, between Purdy and Geno Smith. Uh, Purdy has beat him three times so far, and it hasn't been close almost any of those times. And he's also beat Geno Smith twice at Lumen Field. Um, this is a massive game for Geno. Uh, you almost beat Dallas. He played great in that game. You have to beat San Francisco. You just do. And for a defense in San Francisco, riding high, essentially, dare I say, limiting, stopping the entire Eagles offense where they made A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith look like nothing burgers and have no impact, um, where Jalen Hurts looked like a shell of himself, um, 
you're playing a much worse quarterback this week in Geno Smith, who, again, I like Geno, but he isn't Jalen Hurts. If you're San Francisco, though, you cannot come into that with that mentality of like, well, we already beat Jalen and we already beat Geno once. We'll do it again. Uh, and you can't come in here lackadaisical. You can't come in here, you know, with being on your heels defensively. Got to be aggressive. Got to make plays. Um, Seattle's, like I said, they're going to come out and they're going to want to push the ball. They're going to want to put San Francisco's defense on their heels early. San Francisco could be tired. They could be exhausted. The Seahawks have that 10-day off advantage now, like San Francisco had against the Eagles. If there is anything Seattle wants to do, it's pay San Francisco back, just like San Francisco beat the Eagles at the link this past Sunday. Seattle's going to want to do the exact same thing to San Francisco. San Francisco just did to Philadelphia. Uh, and they're going to have a good chance to when it comes to the offensive line play because the last time these two teams played, uh, they had 41-year-old Jason Peters playing right tackle uh, on a defense where you have Nick Bosa and you have Javon Hargrave and Javon Kinlaw and Chase Young and even Eric Armstead who's not going to play in this game. You don't really want to have a 41-year-old. <laughs> you don't want to have a 41-year-old, a right tackle playing for you, knowing that much explosiveness and power and speed is on the opposing defense. Um, we talked about that going into that game. It surely showed against Seattle on that Thursday Thanksgiving night. Um, but they do have Abraham Lucas back, their star right tackle. He was great against the Cowboys. It's another uh, peg in the wheel, you could say. It's going to make this game even tougher for San Francisco. Um, San Francisco had six sacks on Geno Smith uh, in Seattle against them on Thanksgiving. With Lucas back at right tackle, the Dallas Cowboys, who they have Micah Parsons, Demarcus Lawrence, we know how good that defense is. Uh, they only had one sack against Seattle last week. Um, Abraham Lucas is a massive upgrade from a 41-year-old, slow, deteriorated right tackle on Jason Peters. It's going to be tougher for San Francisco to get pressure off the right side. Um, then you add in the context of Eric Armstead's not going to play in this game. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what Steve Vokes and Shanahan decide to do. Obviously, Bosa, Hargrave, and Young are going to start. But do you start Kinlaw, who had two sacks last week? Do you start Kevin Givens, who... I think is the better overall player between him and Kinlaw. That's what I would do. We might even see more Kalia Davis. Maybe knowing Armstead's not going to play this Sunday. He had his first sack against the Eagles last week. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how they mix and match the Noah Armstead uh, in the lineup deal because I do think Givens should get the start. It makes sense to start him. You want to have Kinlaw on those running downs, uh, and but I do think we'll see a heavy rotation of Kinlaw and Givens in this game. Uh, obviously, Gregory and Clellan Farrell will be in there. Uh, Farrell, I think, will have a bigger presence in this game than he did against Philadelphia. You go back and you watch that Niners-Seahawks game, Clellan Farrell played a ton opposite Nick Bosa. I wouldn't be surprised to see him again in this one, especially on, on running downs. He's one of the better run defending edge rushers in the entire league. 
constantly has a high PFF grade when it comes to run defense. He is, uh, his ability to set the edge, uh, stop Kenneth Walker, stop Charbonnet. Uh, you watch this game, I guarantee you'll see a handful of plays where you sit back and go, man, Clellan Farrell's making plays out there. Maybe he isn't making tackles or getting sacks, but it's about driving guys back up the middle, driving guys inside. Uh, San Francisco was phenomenal against Philadelphia of setting the edge, not letting Hurts and Swift and Gainwell get to the outside. I would expect them to continue that this Sunday against Seattle and Farrell. Young and Bosa are all part of that rotation to get that stuff done. Um, I do think, though, what could make this tricky for San Francisco is the fact that with Kenneth Walker back on the field, if I'm Seattle, uh, I'm running two running back sets, Charbonnet on one side, Walker on the other. I'm making San Francisco be honest with, are they going to run? Are they going to pass? Is this going to be a Charbonnet screen pass? I'm going to have Charbonnet, if healthy, uh, be that check down option. Uh, I know we have Fred Warner. I know we have Dre Greenlaw. Those guys are two of the best at cleaning up the mess the defensive line can't finish off, right? Um, we saw it against Seattle. We saw it against Philadelphia. We've seen it plenty of times over their tenure in San Francisco. Um, I trust Fred Warner with my entire life. <laughs> um, I trust Dre Greenlaw to get penalized once a game, but still, he's a great linebacker making a handful of plays. And thankfully, this Sunday, or we might see a security guard for <laughs> the Seahawks out there on the sideline. Uh, if I was Pete Carroll, that's what I would do. Uh, someone out there, Big Dom, Big Tom, Big Dummy, whoever it is, go out there and try to get Dre Greenlaw, uh, you know, off the field again <laughs> do what you got to do get that man ejected do what you have to do for the team go out there and be a goon for us but i do think that um there is going to be an, a, again another layer to the, the offense for seattle they're gonna have to keep san francisco honest san francisco can't just sit there and go look they don't have kenneth walker it's not it's no longer dj dallas and zach charbonnet you have i don't want to call it a two-headed monster you got a two-headed puppy? I don't know. Uh, whatever you want to say. Like, they do have guys that can make plays. Charbonnet is a fine player, young player, a rookie. Walker, prior to the game he didn't play against San Francisco earlier this year, was a top-five leading rusher in the entire league. He was getting it done. Now, San Francisco's run defense has been so stout where they should be able to take care of business. But again... If you keep San Francisco honest, uh, it's going to open up things for Seattle's offense, which got DK Metcalf. Um, I think the biggest question for him is, can you carry over that three touchdown performance? And for San Francisco, it's are or is Mooney Ward going to be shadowing him again? Um, Mooney Ward was phenomenal against him. I believe he allowed one catch, had like four, four pass blocks, excuse me. He was just locked down DK Metcalf the entire game uh, in Seattle uh, on Thanksgiving night. It was almost like DK Metcalf didn't exist. Um, he took away Geno Smith's number one receiver on the field. Um, I would expect that's going to be the same game plan or at least hope for on Sunday. Uh, we saw Mooney Ward lock down AJ Brown in the end zone with, with three more pass defenses, whatever it was against Philadelphia. Um, he's playing the top of his game. I do think there is going to be a little more physicality there. I think for DK, 
You gotta use your body. Uh, DK is great at bodying up smaller defenders. He should. He's a massive human being. But if you're playing against Mooney Ward, who earlier this year was penalized a ton for illegal contact, I would try to initiate that. Make Mooney Ward have to not play physical with you. He gets penalized once early. He might be a little timid late. Um, I do think this is a game, if DK wants to reassert himself in this rivalry, he's going to have to utilize that massive God-given frame he has. I can't, you can't go out there and flex on smaller defenders like, oh, we gotcha, we gotcha, and then get locked down by Mooney Ward, who, Mooney isn't a small guy, but he's a skinny dude. Like, he's not a big-bodied defensive back. You know, he is bigger than many of them, but... You, like, DK, it's almost like when the bully bullies the small kid, and you're like, yeah, like, what What are you proving? Like, you should be able to bully that kid and beat that person up. Then you have someone, say, pick on somebody your own size, and the bully gets, like, he gets beat up, and he gets some uh, comeuppance, you might say. Is this going to be a game where DK Metcalf can reassert his dominance? If I'm DK, if I'm Pete Carroll, I'm like, yo, like, you gotta pick this up, my guy. Like, I can't have you going out there and being like, oh, you know, I, I'm a, uh, I'm an elusive receiver. I'm a finesse player. Like, you can be that. But you also are like 6'3", 6'4", 235 pounds. Go knock somebody over, dude. <laughs> Take it to them. Make them have to stop you physically um then you have uh, tyler lockett who again is just one of the best slot receivers in the entire league uh he'll be, he'll, he'll likely be lined up against mooney ward uh, or on the off chance he might be against Avery thomas and then you have jackson smith and jigba who has kind of risen in prominence in the offense recently had a touchdown taken away from him against the dallas cowboys which i think was a catch but Anyways, um, he's played a lot better recently. They've been getting him going offensively, so going to be a massive test again for San Francisco's cornerback group, uh, Lenore Thomas, uh, Mooney Ward. Uh, I do think it'll be interesting to see, again, if they can get different looks for DK Metcalf because we saw in that game uh, for Seattle, uh, they wanted to throw him deep balls. How many times did... Gino just missed some deep balls downfield that he had open, mind you, to DK while Mooney Ward guarded him. He just missed him. He overshot him. There were a handful of those. I do think they're still going to take those shots, and if you can get the run game going a little bit or keep San Francisco honest with Walker and Charbonnet, uh, they're still going to want to take those shots, and we saw what happened in the playoffs last year. Mooney Ward gets beat deep. Now, that isn't who he is as a cornerback, but it happens from time to time. If DK, again, reasserts the physical nature and the body he has on Mooney Ward, I would not be surprised if they hit one deep ball in this game or like, well, there it is. They finally hit one. I would not be surprised if that happens. Keep going further with that. Jair Brown, who has been really good in coverage despite his slow 40 time. You haven't even noticed him on the field unless he's whiffing on tackles, which has been three of them so far. I've counted. <laughs> but um, I do think he's been great through the, the three games he's played, two games he's played. Um, he looks really strong there. Gibson looks good. And we have a newbie now. They went and signed Logan Ryan, who... 
I'm assuming he's going to replace George Odom's role on the defense. Special teamer, veteran player for Jair Brown to learn from, two-time Super Bowl champion. He just gives you someone that you're not worried about playing safety. Um, he's not going to be like, they're going to go from Isaiah Oliver, who was benched, now getting safety reps, to Logan Ryan, two-time Super Bowl champion, has played safety for the last two, three seasons with the Buccaneers. And you're going to feel a lot better about that rather than Oliver back there getting safety reps. Um, so I think I think we'll be fine, but I would not be surprised if they do beat us deep. And when they beat you deep, that's when things start to change. The run game opens up usually. Uh, the underneath game can open up. It's just about how can San Francisco stop Seattle's momentum. San Francisco was so great against Seattle, well, the past four games now, but especially on Thanksgiving night, every time Seattle got momentum, the offense answered, um, or the defense picked up the offense when they couldn't answer. It's about how do you stop momentum. I also think that Seattle, and, and we'll get to their defense in a second, Seattle's defense has yet to allow a score off a turnover, a touchdown off a turnover all year, if you're San Francisco's offense, you had two of them against Seattle two weeks ago. The ball inside their 40-yard line, you have to score touchdowns. And I think they will. Um, I think if Seattle gives the ball away, San Francisco at home, at their own field, they play so well there, having only lost one game all season there, the one against the Bengals, which... You can just wash away now because Jake Browning's playing quarterback out there. But I do think that San Francisco is going to have to capitalize off of Seattle's turnovers like every other team needs to. But also, if Seattle gets momentum, when they're doing those trick plays and hitting deep balls and, and they're pulling out the Pete Carroll and he's chewing gum and he's throwing it towards his assistants, um, you're going to have to answer the call of can you limit there and stop the momentum shift out there at Levi Stadium? Um, getting to the Seahawks' defense and how San Francisco's offense can really slice and dice um, through that really, really bad Seahawks' defense. Um, the last time we talked about Seattle, I gave you a ton of stats about how they can't defend the run, they can't defend the pass, they're off one third downs, turnovers, takeaways, blah, 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 whatever it was, Right? Almost all of that has gotten worse <laughs> since that day. Almost all of it's gotten worse. Um, the past four times San Francisco has played Seattle, they have outscored them 120 to 56. They have double the points that Seattle has in their last four outings. Of course, that being three regular season games and one playoff game. Uh, but so that being said, it, it feels like San Francisco has the edge, right? They dominate Seattle when they played them with Geno Smith at quarterback. But the Seattle defense has just been awful. They ranked 21st against the run this year, giving up 119 rushing yards per game. In the last three weeks, They've given up 129 yards on the ground per game. 
uh, don't forget, the last time Seattle and San Francisco played two weeks ago, um, San Francisco had 169 yards on the ground, and Chris McCaffrey had 114 of those yards and two touchdowns. Um, it just feels like if you're going into a game against San Francisco, you know they are going to want to run the football. And I think it may have been George Kittle or Fred Warner said that we know as a defense, once we get our running game going, that being McCaffrey, and we get Debo and Elijah Mitchell, who probably won't play in this game. So Jordan Mason gets reps finally. Once we get those guys going, we know it's over. We know we're unbeatable as an offense. Seattle doesn't seem to have the ability to stop the run, or at least haven't shown the wherewithal to address stopping the run. They were hoping it was Leonard Williams. He ain't done nothing. He's actually, they've been worse with him on the field. Um, it's crazy to believe that with their trade deadline acquisition, Seattle's run defense has gotten worse worse with him on the field. Uh, this is another Chris McCaffrey field day. As I said two weeks ago, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that carries over once again, because look, just like Seattle's offensive line is getting healthy, San Francisco against the Seahawks two weeks ago, they didn't have Burford. It was Williams and a returning from injury Aaron Banks, then Brendel, then Feliciano, then McKivitz. Now they're going to have their entire... Uh, their entire starting five back with Banks even healthier and Burford back as the right guard. Um, I think they'll be able to push the Seattle defensive line around a little bit more in this one. I'm not going to ignore the fact that Bobby Wagner and Jordan Brooks are still two of the better run defending le uh, linebackers in the entire league. Uh, but we saw against them this past uh, or two weeks ago that they are awful against the pass. Um, they're older, that being Wagner. Brooks is just a younger Bobby Wagner that can't pass coverage anybody. Um, tight ends, over the middle, IU, Debo, doesn't matter. I would expect San Francisco to have their way up the middle in this game. Uh, they mentioned, uh, the Seahawks players mentioned that their goal is to stop over the middle stuff. The difference is that Brock Purdy isn't Jimmy G. No offense, I like Jimmy. Different players, Brock Purdy can beat you to the outside as well. Um, and if and if they're gonna stop the over the middle stuff, you know what you do? Screen passes. Make them have to guard the screen pass. Make them have to have guys leak outside uh, to the boundary. End arounds to Debo. Like there are ways that Shanahan is going to exploit that. It's not that hard. Um, and really, this is a game where. You respect Seattle, you give them their kudos, they're 6-6, six and six. they're right there in the playoff hunt, uh, but you also know they should not be in the same conversation as you, they're a C-plus, B-minus team at best, they're reeling, they have to win. You can almost take advantage of that desperation if they're going to blitz more, if they're going to attack the quarterback more, take shots deep. My money is on Brandon Ayuk winning those plays. If they're going to blitz, you're going to have plenty of chances with Brock Purdy being the best quarterback efficiency-wise against the Blitz this season. And even then, if they're not going to Blitz, their leading sack getter is Boy Mafe, who's a good player. He has seven sacks this year. He hasn't had a sack in three weeks. Either he's due, 
or he's not playing up to par. It's that simple. Uh, Jerron Reed has five sacks this year. He had one in the last three weeks. And uh, Devin Witherspoon has been one of the better cornerbacks at getting sacks. Um, but again, like Seattle's defense doesn't do much. Seattle seems like a team that... Like, take Jamal Adams, for example. Jamal Adams should be a good player, right? He was a good player for a while with the Jets. Um, there is even talks of when he was out there on the trade market where should San Francisco acquire him? Thank God they didn't because he seems more distracted by journalists in New York calling him, calling out his poor play than actually wanting to play good, wanting to play well. He's talking about when they go low, I go lower. You know, Jamal, I'm sure you're a great guy. Um, I'm sure you've had and gone through a lot with the injuries and stuff. Um, your play can't get any lower, my guy. <laughs> like, you're getting burnt, burnt all the time. Tight ends, receivers, running backs. I can guarantee you, you ask Pete Carroll. You ask other GMs, they're going to say, yeah, Jamal Adams, he's not good anymore. Not good anymore. I said it two weeks ago. The Seahawks defense is just a bunch of names that aren't playing well. Julian Love, Quandre Diggs, Jamal Adams, uh, Devin Witherspoon's having a good year, but then you got Tariq Woolen, who he got benched against Seattle or against San Francisco two weeks ago because he couldn't tackle anybody. <laughs> he couldn't tackle anybody. It's like what Seattle has going for them is name value, not production. Kind of like Philadelphia's defense. They're kind of the same thing. They got a bunch of names that are respected league-wide, but in reality, they're not playing great, right? There's a reason why San Francisco was able to exploit Seattle two weeks ago. There's a reason why uh, they were able to exploit the Eagles, well, I don't know, six days ago, five days ago now. Like, there's a reason why... San Francisco continues to be able to run through, exploit, and play well against other defenses that really don't have the business being on the same field as them. It's name value compared to production next to their name. The Seahawks just don't have that name value. That 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 that, that or the excuse me, they have the name value. They don't have the production, and you realize that they're playing Brock Purdy, who. This, he scored, what, four touchdowns against Philadelphia? Four? I mean, come on. <laughs> like, the whole conversation was, you gotta play someone, gotta see somebody. He's beating everybody now. There ain't a single team in the NFC you point to and say, and look, if you wanted to say the Lions, if you think Brock Purdy wouldn't just run right through that Lions defense, that looks atrocious. They can't guard anybody. He's beaten every NFC opponent you say, well, they might have a chance, or watch out for them. Like, Brock Purdy since the bye week this year. So Jacksonville, the Bucks, Seattle, and Philadelphia, those last two being on the road, and Jacksonville also being on the road. Three games on the road since the bye week. 74% completion percentage, 1,152 yards, 200. 82 yards a game, 11 total touchdowns, nearly three touchdowns per game, and just one interception. The one pick, which 
arguably his two worst passes against Seattle two weeks ago was the one to Debo backed up against his own end zone. That one gets tipped. It almost gets picked off. The next play backed up against his own end zone. It does get tipped, then it gets picked off for a pick six. That can't happen. And guess what? That is Seattle's only takeaway the past two weeks. They didn't get one against the Cowboys. It was a, I don't want to say phony, it was a tipped pick six against Brock Purdy. That's his only mistake in four weeks. He's throwing the ball deep downfield. He's against the blitz, just crushing it. And you realize that Seattle's pass defense ranks 23rd overall in the entire league. They're giving up 12.4 passing first downs per game. That ranks 29th in the entire league. Now, knowing how poorly they've played, I dove into the analytics and how, is this true? Are they that bad? Seattle is a much worse home defense than road defense. They go from the 23rd ranked passing defense overall, put them on the road though, they come to play. For all the crap I just gave them of name value compared to production. To give them some credit here, to give them a fighting chance, back against the wall, where would they have an opportunity to beat San Francisco? It's against the pass. It's not against the run. Now, when San Francisco can run the football, it opens up the passing game. But, on the road... They rank number 12th in the entire league against the pass. You have to respect that. You have to give that credit. I don't know what it is. I don't know what is the change of that. I don't know if it's a defensive scheme issue. I'm not sure if it's a, hey, we're on someone else's turf. Let's play up. Let's come in there and knock them out of the park. I don't know what it is. But it does feel like Seattle on the road knows... We ain't got the 12s. We got the zeros because none of our fans are here. (laughs) We have to play well for the guys on TV and the gals on TV watching us up there in Seattle. Like, they play better on the road. It just is what it is. I don't know what it is. But if they're going to have a chance to stop San Francisco, it's going to be against, I believe, the MVP leader, or leader, excuse me, not leader, leader, uh, Brock Purdy right now. Which, I'll be honest with you, I do think Brock Purdy is going to have a good game. You ask Brock Purdy this, he'll even answer it just being, being, you know, being up front with you. Hey Brock, how was your game today? You had four touchdowns, 300 yards, uh, and your perfect pass rating. How did you feel? I have to be better. They no doubt in my mind, he wasn't thinking about hurting his arm in Philadelphia in the playoffs last year when he played him. Uh, this this past week. There ain't no doubt in my mind he ain't sitting there like, I threw that darn pick six two weeks ago. That's not going to happen this week. It feels like he bounces back. Now, this is the first time, mind you, that they are going to see an NFC West opponent the second time this year. They ain't played the Cardinals twice yet. They ain't played the Rams twice yet. We're going to see how Pete Carroll makes those adjustments and vice versa. San Francisco played well against Seattle two weeks ago. Now we're going to see what Pete Carroll has in his bag. How can he make the changes, make the adjustments? The game was close for a little bit. 
there was a chance there for Seattle to kind of find themselves and get back in that game. And San Francisco did their job and it kind of stopped that in its tracks. Is that going to change? Is there going to be a spark for them where they can find momentum? Uh, I would like to think not because this Niners team is too good. And I'd like to win this game and uh, get the number one seed. But I want to give Seattle credit here. They have a chance. They're a fine team. Uh, we've seen plenty of... The Patriots just beat the Steelers tonight in Pittsburgh. Steelers aren't good, but the Patriots suck. <laughs> um, that wasn't supposed to happen. Now, I get they had Trubisky and it wasn't Pickett, and I get it. The Steelers are a mess, but they still won seven games. The Patriots suck. <laughs> the Patriots suck. All I'm saying is that you never know, and you have to give, whether it's bad teams or an average team, or a fairly good team, credit of, this could be an issue when you play them again. Um, I want to get to, and stick with their defense here, because when we talked last about Seattle two weeks ago, I ran through why they're fraudulent when it comes to defensive takeaways and sacks and all that. When you remove the Giants game from their schedule. <laughs> um, and I want to do it again. Because I want to show you that their defense might actually be playing worse since the last time these two teams played. So we're going to now count the game against San Francisco two weeks ago and the Dallas Cowboys game. If you take away the Giants game when they had 11 sacks and three takeaways, three takeaways, they would go from 15 takeaways to 12 takeaways. That would rank bottom three in the entire league. In the entire league. They would go from 36 sacks to 25 sacks. They'd go from 10th to dead last in the entire NFL if you remove the Giants game from their schedule when they had 11 sacks and three takeaways. Their defense, like I said before two weeks ago, and I'll say it again now, it's fraudulent. It's not good. Yes, the pass defense is better on the road. That's fine. They just gave up 41 points against the Cowboys where Dak looked amazing, right? And I like Dak having a great year in the, in the conversation and for MVP for sure. Seattle's defense also ranks 29th on third downs. 45% conversion rate. That sucks. They're 25th in red zone defense. 63% touchdown rate. That sucks. They're not good. Like, I don't know how much I can continue to say the same thing over and over again. Because it feels like we just had this same podcast two weeks ago. Because nothing has changed for them. It's actually all gotten worse. The only difference is we're playing at Levi's compared to Lumen Field. <laughs> That's the only difference here. And they happen to play a little better on the road. Other than that, all the stats, third down, touchdown rate, conversion rate, takeaways, sacks, it's all gotten worse. Their players that were playing well coming into the game against San Francisco two weeks ago aren't playing well now or aren't playing as good as they were coming into that game. The Seahawks are a team that's reeling. They need to win this game. They want to win this game. And they're going to play an offense that has George Kittle that since 2019 has 29 catches 
563 receiving yards and four touchdowns against them. Now, mind you, was kept relatively quiet against them in two weeks ago. I don't think that's going to continue. Um, then you have Debo Samuel coming off his best game since 2021, who has 37 career catches against the Seahawks, 673 yards, and six touchdowns. That's six-plus catches a game, almost 100 yards a game, and almost one touchdown a game against the Seahawks. And I haven't even talked about Brandon Ayuk yet. That can cook any receiver that in the game two weeks ago, Purdy threw an amazing pass in between four defenders that Ayuk caught and ran for a touchdown. Like, San Francisco's riding so high, there is a fear. Again, I do understand the whole, well, it could be a trap game, it can be a trap game. I get that. Um, I don't think San Francisco, with the idea, with the knowledge, it's the NFC West opponent, you're back at home, it's the Seahawks, and if you win, and the Dallas Cowboys beat the Eagles, you get the one seed, I do think San Francisco is going to take this game extremely serious, much more than that Browns game, much more than the Vikings game, the Bengals game. I just think that they already got their their, their humble pie back then. They lost three games in a row. They all said, we kind of lost focus there for a second. We beat Dallas riding high, thinking we're kings of the world, right? You know, throw the front of the Titanic and we're like, oh, and whatever it is, you know, and then it starts to sink, right? Now they're kings of the world again, and they're sitting there we're like, we took care of business. We did our job in Philadelphia. If we just do it again one more time and Dallas can do us a favor, then we're sitting there like, dude, we got this thing. Like, we, it is just all us going forward. You beat, like, they have a chance to literally steal the one seed in a two-week span. That's what they've been building back up for. I, I have a good idea they're not going to want to let that slip away. I do think this game is going to be closer than people think. I don't think that 10.5-point favorite is going to actually happen. I think San Francisco wins this game 20 to 27. It'll be close. I think they'll have, I don't know, it'll probably be 13-27. Seattle scores a touchdown late, makes it close. San Francisco ices the game. Uh, let's just say it's a Brock Purdy first down. Uh, a, a first down pass to Kittle. Ices the game, it's over with. I think it's going to be that style of game. It'll be a little testy. Seattle, San Francisco, going to be some punches, going to be some, you know, physicality. Tensions are riding high. Seattle wants to spoil San Francisco's number one seed try. Uh, San Francisco wants to end Seattle's NFC playoff hopes. It's going to be classic NFC West style football. I have San Francisco winning 27 to 20. And let's go get the number one seed. By the end of Sunday night, the Niners could be, and hopefully they are. Come on, Dallas. Come on, Dallas. Are we Dallas Cowboys fans this week? Or are we rooting for the Eagles to lose and, and the Cowboys not to win? <laughs> That's my kind of thought process on that. Come on, Dallas. Just do us one favor. Do us one favor. Please, please. And I believe if Dallas wins and Philadelphia loses, Dallas has the tiebreaker. 
they're tied for the same record, I think the Eagles might fall to the five seed. It's a lot of moving parts here, but let's get the number one seed. It's all that matters. We want this. We saw the importance of 10 days off just one week ago against Philadelphia. We need that. Now is our chance to secure the one seed, get it in our grasp, and hopefully not let it go the rest of the season. 27-20 San Francisco wins is my prediction. I want to kindly ask you to like and subscribe on YouTube. Uh, it's a free way to help the show, help the podcast. You guys came out in droves after the Eagles win. Let's keep the momentum moving into Seattle week. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify or Google Podcasts, whatever you're listening on, please leave a review and like the podcast and tell your friends about it. Give us five stars. Tell us anything you want in the review comment section. I don't care what it is. Give us five stars, help the show, and let's keep this train rolling all the way, hopefully, to the one seed and hopefully, eventually, the Lombardi Trophy. You can use our our, our promo code 49ers Access at uh, SeatGeek.com. 49ERSACCESS at SeatGeek.com. It's up here on the screen. I'm pointing to it right now or down below in the description. Use that promo code and save yourself $20 off your first purchase at SeatGeek.com. You can also follow us on social media. The ats are down below. Twitter or X is at 49ers underscore access. Instagram is at 49ers.access. All the updates, all the hot takes, reaction to the game live every single game day, night, Monday, Thursday, Sunday. We're going to be on those platforms reacting to the game. And look, a big thank you from me. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah out there as well. I uh, hope you have a wonderful and safe Sunday, safe holiday season. Get your Christmas trees, whatever you celebrate, get your presents, celebrate your family, celebrate your loved ones, celebrate Jesus, celebrate whatever you do on this or at this time of year. Go watch Elf for the 90th time. I've seen Home Alone 30 times in the past day and a half. It's always on Freeform. What I used to call as a kid, ABC Family. Go out there. Go out there and do your thing, you filthy animals. It's Christmas time. Have a good time. And hopefully on Sunday, we're celebrating a San Francisco 49er victory uh, at Levi Stadium. One last time, my name is Sterling Bennett. Saying thank you for watching, listening, liking, sharing, and subscribing. And until next time, stay faithful.